Welcome to NetSmart Care Threads, a podcast where human services and post-acute leaders across the healthcare continuum come together to discuss industry trends, challenges, and opportunities. Listen as we uncover real stories about how to innovate and improve the quality of care for the communities we serve. Let's get into the show. My name is Tom Herzog, and I'm your host today. I serve as a Chief Operating Officer uh, for NetSmart, and I'm excited to introduce our guest today, Mary Madison, a thought leader for Briggs Healthcare. Mary is focused on helping long-term care providers deliver on quality of life and quality of care for our elderly citizens. In Mary's role as clinical consultant for long-term care and senior living at Briggs Healthcare, she helps guide long-term care providers through the ever-changing uh, challenges and opportunities in reimbursement and opportunities for innovation around care. Mary is a registered nurse with over 45 years of healthcare experience, including 40 years in long-term care. I can't think of a better guest to guide us through the complexity of reimbursement, opportunities, and challenges, as Mary is one of the top thought leaders for training and educational sessions across the country for the past two decades. The topic for today's episode is focusing on preparing long-term care providers in preparation for the next year, the next decade, and understand what challenges and opportunities there are for all of us as we look ahead. Why is this important? Resources are required to deliver the quality of care we aspire to achieve, and that requires organizations to receive the correct level of reimbursement for care provided. Ensuring reimbursement enables our care providers to allocate the right resources at the right time and our collective caring mission. Mary, welcome to the show today, and I appreciate you taking the time. Hi, Tom. Glad to be here. If you don't mind, can you just begin telling us a little bit about yourself and how you found yourself into this uh, into this career? I always find it fascinating, and our listeners do as well, on how people found this part of their vocational calling. I just kind of fell into it, honestly. I've been an RN for 48 years, and I'm extremely proud of my career. I've done a lot of different things, and each one has taught me something different about not only myself, but the people that I take care of. I started way back as a teenager when I worked as a volunteer Red Cross candy striper in one of our local nursing homes. Plus, I helped take care of both of my maternal grandparents as they got older, and my aunt was actually a nurse. She was a nursing instructor, in fact. With that opportunity in my past, I was hooked. And I've been blessed with a great introduction to the value of the elderly in our society. I love working with them. They're the most genuine, great, caring people I've ever met. They're just awesome. I began my nursing career, oddly enough, on a, a, an acute psychiatric ward. At the time, I thought it was a little odd. I learned in nurses training from my peers that I probably would not like long-term care and I would want to get back and learn all my skills with IVs and, and what have you. But that was wrong. My peers were wrong. I loved long-term care and it's always been something I've been able to fall back on my acute care, as a, a matter of fact, 
Uh, it gave me a great background for my work throughout the years in long-term care. I was a director of nursing in the 330-bed skilled facility. I worked with the Iowa Quality Improvement Organization. I was a nurse educator. I did education on software when over 87 came into play. And we had to deal with, I have to use the computer now. So I've had a lot of different experiences and loved each one of them. So you've seen it all. You've seen from going from paper to digital, and now we're going into interoperability and connectedness. You've lived uh, quite the journey so far, and yet it feels like now a new focal point has come as long-term care, uh, the thought of, of the importance of it has really taken on a whole new meaning versus this last uh, couple of years. And I guess I would ask you, what's something that you absolutely love about uh, your role in serving this community? I think that would have to be that working with the elderly, that generation in particular, is always been called um, our greatest generation. Tom Brokaw, I think, coined that phrase, but they really are. They've been through things just like we will be able to say we've been through some really wild times. They made it through the um, Great Depression. They made it through one or two wars, depending on their lifespan. They've raised kids in all kinds of what now seems pretty stable situations, but it probably was much like we're experiencing today with our kids. Lots of things going on. Times are changing. People are changing. So the fact that they made it through, that they continue to be positive, they don't give up, they keep fighting, and they look out for each other. I think that's what has always drawn me to working with folks in long-term care. Well, and I think if there's anything that definitely brings us together, it is healthcare. Because some of our greatest stories are around healthcare as well, some of our biggest challenges. And I couldn't agree with you more. And we've just come through uh, Veterans Day, and you talk about the greatest generation and some of the challenges and uh, that they had before them, and we're reminded of the necessary, the need, the necessity for us to work together and to care for one another. And I guess I'll begin there. As you look at long-term care providers, organizations, what are some of the challenges facing them right now? And I'll also throw out there, what are some of the opportunities that you're having conversations with them as well? Challenges and opportunities, Tom, are sometimes the same. I think in the last couple of years, I would be lying if I didn't say that the pandemic has been our biggest challenge. I have never seen anything like it. Um, I'm old enough that I lived through the HIV epidemic back in in the 70s and the 80s. We thought then that we had seen a lot, but we had yet to see some other things. I've been through Ebola, not personally, but we've had all sorts of challenges throughout the years, but they also at the same time present opportunities. Uh, I always get a kick every year when nurses are named the most trusted people, the most trusted occupation in the United States. 
And in my humble opinion, I believe that is an accurate statement. People look to nursing for guidance. They look to nursing for caring. And when we are in the healthcare setting, we are so important. And our patients are important to us. Our residents are important, just as we are important to them. So challenges are also opportunities. Um, that's been my experience throughout my years. Well, and I couldn't agree with you more on the role of nurses. And I think any of us who've cared for a loved one, a family member in a setting, uh, not only are nurses um, directly helping that person in, in need of care, but also the family members and friends around them. And I remember directly the conversations, the words spoken at the right time, assurance, um, helping navigate our own uncertainty through that. And I think this past couple of years have absolutely reminded us that the role of healthcare uh, providers and, um, and caretakers is far greater than the role than just um, helping a person in need. It's that entire family unit in that time of um, often what is crisis. And I uh, appreciate you reminding us of that. And I guess, you know, as you look out today, you know, and you think of the organizations that are out there right now, and let's just go to um, some of the, I think, things that organizations are having to think through as they maybe need to make turns, reshape, address things that haven't been there today be, before, what are some of the things you're guiding organizations that they need to be thinking about right now as we are hopefully coming to a close of the pandemic over the last, next many months that they need to start being prepared for or changes that as part of this next normal, it's, it's not going to return to the normal we knew. There's going to be a new normal that's out there. Indeed, Tom. I don't think we'll go back to whatever normal was. Uh, sometimes it's fun to go back and, and think about those days. And it seems kind of silly because it was just a couple of years ago, but a lot has happened. And the pandemic is not done with this yet. And we will hear more about pandemics in the future, different viruses. Yeah. There will be challenges for all of us. So we can look in the rearview mirror, but that's not going to catch up to us, what our normal used to be. Um, I often equate healthcare and long-term care in particular with having to be Gumby. That was a toy that people in my generation played with when they were young and you could bend it and twist it out of shape. And I feel that the last couple of years in particular, we've all been Gumbies and we weren't real sure where we were going when this all started in March of 2020. Actually, it started back in late 2019, but it came to our shores in early 2020. So when we started with the pandemic, we were also learning a new reimbursement system. We had rugs before, not the things you put on the floor, but we had to learn what's now called PDPM or patient-driven patient management. So there was a lot going on and we were just shy of six months before we were thrown into this pandemic. We had a new MDS item set. We had to learn 
a different way to code. And we had to learn that our reimbursement was going to come from the condition of the patients we took care of. I would prefer it if they had an R in there instead of a P, uh, resident instead of patient, but patient-driven works. And it's all going back to the focus being the patient. In this instance, with reimbursement, we were learning a new system that was driven by value instead of volume. And then whack, right upside the head came the pandemic. Well, and I think that's a great segue into the next couple of questions I have. And we're going to get tactical here for a second. And you set the stage for that perfectly as we were all preparing for um, the shift um, that we knew was happening. Pandemic comes. Everything else is turned upside down. I think as you look across providers today, how are organizations doing in ensuring that they're getting the right reimbursement for their organizations based upon all this change that's happened in the last couple of years? I think overall, Tom, people are doing okay. Um, I'm not going to say, oh, they're not doing well or they're really doing well. I think I'd probably be accurate at calling it okay. As I mentioned, we were just six months shy of a very challenging, overwhelming learning curve and Right right upside the head came the pandemic. So we had to turn our attention, once they got our attention, to, oh my goodness, we've got residents that are getting sick. We've got staff that are getting sick. So I think we did really well. Um, I think we became pretty good gumbies um, when it came to reimbursement and where we need to focus things. I think if I would give one piece of advice that will always hold true is that I'm a firm believer in training and continuing education. They have to go hand in hand. You can train, but then you've got to keep it up. You've got to hone your skills. You've got to stay in touch with other peers. I really, really believe that the key to maximizing reimbursement in this day and age, is that you've got an MDS coordinator in every facility that's had in-depth training and has a good support system within the facility, as well as a great peer group. The MDS coordinator, the reimbursement specialist coordinator, is not a let Mikey do it, it's easy position. Right. Um, You can't just put somebody in that chair and say, Here is a 60-page MDS item set. Go ahead and fill it out, and may the force be with you. Doesn't work. I'm a proud 99er with APACN, the American Association of Post-Acute Nursing. And the 99er means I've been with them since their birth as a, a group. I'm a certified resident assessment coordinator, also a certified dementia practitioner. But the resident assessment coordinator is key. Um, There needs to be specific and ongoing training for everybody that works with that MDS. It's not just filling out a questionnaire and hoping for the best. That person, the MDS coordinator, the reimbursement specialist, they really need that training. I encourage certification 
There are a lot of folks that are doing certification. The MDS is absolutely essential for everything that long-term care does now. It's used in so many ways. And I have felt from the beginning that it's the most powerful tool that a SNF for a long-term care facility has used since over 87. So what I hear you saying is, you know, intentionality is a big part of it. And by the way, I'm going to have to borrow the Gumby thing. And I don't know how many of us <laughs> actually can connect with Gumby, but you just Our now gave me showing. the perfect picture of what the whole words, the buzzwords around adapt and pivot. I can't think of maybe of a better illustration because that's what the Gumby can do is adapt and pivot. And your point is that this, there's still going to be a lot of that as we go forward. You need to have yes. intentionality according coordinator and investment in the in the training and really as waivers come to an end and likely there's going to be an end those things need to continue and they is it fair Mary if I say that that will pay for itself because staff will be more efficient they'll also be more knowledgeable in ensuring that the practices and the protocols are in place to ensure that all um, you know reimbursement is happening. Absolutely. And when you think of reimbursement, don't forget to include Medicaid, especially in the case mix states. Um, the, the MDS coordinator and the team, because it takes a team that works on the MDS, they are the ones that are the gatekeepers for reimbursement to any long-term care facility. If they're not educated, if they don't understand what the tool is used for, in addition to reimbursement, but certainly for that, then you're going to leave money on the table. So I guess I'll, that's a good that's a good shift to the next kind of topic or flow of conversation. And as organizations are looking into 2022, what additional resources or support will those reimbursements teams need? to continue that level of funding? They're going to need a lot of support, Tom, just as they always have. Um, sometimes the MDS or the reimbursement person is looked at as, oh, that's a paperwork job. That's a desk job. But those folks are out in the thick of things. Um, they're talking with staff. They're interviewing residents. So they need a lot of support. And it's a team sport, um, starting with pre-admission screening, um, looking for the diagnoses, coming up with the right diagnoses that matches why the residents in your building um, it takes more than one person to do that. Um, I've been an advocate, and if, if you've heard me speak before, you've heard me say there needs to be an error and a spare, that you need more than one person that's trained to coordinate the MDS process, including the submission. Um, you don't get paid if you don't encode and, and submit the MDS. You're going to need somebody besides one person that knows how to do all those things. What are you going to do if your coordinator becomes sick? Um, I do know of an MDS coordinator in the country that actually died of COVID. Um, it happens. I've had um, nursing staff die from old age or a heart attack. So you've got to have that air and a spare. Um, if they win the lottery and leave, somebody's got to be able to do it. Takes good relationships with referring hospitals. 
Um, make sure that the right documentation is there, that you're coding it accurately. You have to use the RAI manual for reference. Uh, the items themselves are not always cut and dried as to what CMS is looking for. And one good example of that is isolation. During the pandemic, a lot of folks have made the mistake of coding isolation because they equate that with quarantine, not right. the same. And they'll get audited and money will be taken back from them. The use of interviews is important. Um, the PHQ-9 looking for potential depressed mood. Right. The BIMS, which is cognitive. Um, you have to know how to do that and how to do it properly. Watching for IPA or interim payment assessments. Right now, they're optional once we do that five-day initial Medicare assessment. But residents change and their conditions change. So a savvy MDS coordinator, a savvy team within the facility, because it's not a singular sport, they all need to watch for those changes and how it affects their clinical care. And right now that IPA is optional, but um, not really being a betting person, I think I might bet that the IPA in the future may become something that's required. Initially with the proposed rule before the pandemic took us over, right. um, CMS was gonna make that a requirement, then they backed off on it. And we know that the PDPM system has not been budget neutral, I believe because of COVID and all of the challenges. But CMS is already working on ways that they might recoup that budget neutrality. And IPAs down the road could well become required. So now we do them if our reimbursement would improve. If they're required, we would have to do an IPA if the reimbursement decreased. So we've got to really be careful with that. So there's lots of things going on that we constantly need to be watchful of. We have to pivot when we see them and consider the good of our facility, the residents that live there and that we take care of, and the staff that come in and visit for 8, 10, 12 hours a day to take care of those folks, and then they return home. Well, I mean, you're, you're hitting on, I can just imagine if I'm sitting in an organization, you're underscoring that with so many moving pieces, so many things that we're adapting and pivoting to, that the team is really essential. And yes. so I guess, you know, on that whole thought that whether I'm a leader in an organization wanting to ensure that that team is solid or whether I'm a part of that team and I'm looking across and, you know, as you said, there's people who could win the lottery or go off to do other things, you know, and we're all constantly, you know, we're dealing with workforce challenges. No question about that. As people are uh, looking and doing other things or maybe moving to another similar opportunity, what traits do you um, encourage or do you consult with as you speak with organizations on what people need to be have, what they need to have on these teams to not just be effective, to, but to be extraordinary? Well, education for sure. 
and continuing education, um, you can train people to do it. If they've had past experience and that experience has been good and they've been good at that position, there's a plus right there. You also need an eye for detail plus commitment to proper documentation. Anybody can code things on the MDS, but you have to make sure there's documentation to back it up. If you're audited, you can stand up straight and say, here's where it is. I got this document from the hospital they came from, or the physician has documented this. And then lastly, three items. Working cooperatively with your support staff, transparency, and honesty. All of those things make for a great coordinator and a great team. So I think it's great advice. And I know that that whole, you know, notion of very being very detail-oriented, but also curious and anticipating what those changes might be, might might, might need, need to happen and Flexibility. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, you cannot have flexibility to be extraordinarily successful. I think great words of wisdom and guidance there. And I guess on my last question here, I think based upon what you've heard announced to date, what you've seen, what you're hearing, what does the outlook for reimbursement in, in the next year or just going forward look like for providers out there? Well, Tom, I think at least for the remaining six to nine months of fiscal year 2022. So that would take us, um, I don't want to go fast forward that fast, but January through September of 2022, I think it will likely remain the same. I don't see CMS pulling back on the public health emergency, um, at least before summer. We've got to get more ducks in a row um, we've got lots of interim final rules flying and things that we have to be responsible for, but we've got to vaccinate staff. We've got to continue that. Um, we've got to take care of our residents. We have to take care of the people in our communities yeah. because the people coming into the facility is where it gets in. COVID is it. So I think reimbursement will remain the same. In April of 2022, that's generally when we see the, the next fiscal year's proposed PPS rule. So we need to be watchful of that. I would say if you've got anybody in your building that stalks the internet, I'm one of the, the favorite stalkers um, because that's where everything is posted now. So keep up with things as they go along. Um, CMS is always dropping QSO memorandums. Um, OSHA's doing that too, yes. um, but keep, keep on top of that. You got to stalk the internet to make sure of what's going on, but watch for that rule. And remember that we kind of dodged a bullet because the pandemic was going on and back to that budget neutrality. Yeah. That CMS had a plan to do something to make up the difference, but it wouldn't work this year. Because right. we're still in crisis mode, and I believe we will still be in crisis mode for the remainder of fiscal year 2022. And then we still have CMS's words ringing in our ears. When this all started, they said that we would not have a new item, MDS item set, until two years after the pandemic was over. 
So it's not over yet. The fat lady hasn't sung. We're going to have to deal with COVID for quite a while, at least in the emergency state, if not more. So I think that um, we'll be safe, if you will, for reimbursement remaining where it is right now. But that's not to say that in April of next year, CMS will come up with that fiscal year's proposed rule. I think we'll see a change with the IPAs, but that's just something I'm not putting money on, but I'm I'm betting on it. I think that will be one component. They may also bring out, again, ways that we can go back to make budget neutral what we should with reimbursement. I hope that they take into account what we've all been through and are going through, but we'll wait and see. Uh, We'll wait and see what CMS has. In the meantime, I think it's important for CEOs, for leadership, for everybody in the long-term care facility to take a moment to congratulate themselves that they made it this far, but not to rest on their laurels because we still have a lot ahead of us, um, not only for reimbursement to keep our facilities going so we don't shut doors, Um, Our communities rely on having a long-term care facility there, but we also have to take care of staff too, so that we have good, competent, caring staff in the building. And proper reimbursement and the way we go about it ensures all of those things and the, the continued life breath in many communities around the country. Well, Mary, what, you know, just great sage advice on so many fronts. And I love the fact that you drawed it back to, at the end of the day, our organizations are made up of teams and those teams are people. And we're all navigating uh, this together. And I guess I'm, I'm going to ask one more thing because listening to you, you're so full of energy. You obviously love what you do. You're very passionate about the things that you're doing. And I guess I want to ask you to that caregiver, that provider, that organization that's out there that's listening and is tired, maybe overwhelmed, uncertain. What words of encouragement or story would you share or or how you keep your focus to not lose what's important that you would give to them that they, too, are are encouraged and challenged uh, to ensure that we all work together in finding our way forward? Oh, Tom, that's a tall order. Um, But I'm actually looking at it on the corner of my desk. I had somebody a couple of years ago before the pandemic uh, give me a little, I suppose it's a plaque. It sits on my desk. It doesn't hang on the wall. But I look at it periodically. And trust me when I say I've had a case more than once of the guilts. I went into nursing to take care of residents, and I love doing that. In my position now, I don't take direct care of them, but I support the direct caregivers. So back to the plaque on my desk, it says, don't forget to be awesome. And I've looked at that every day, multiple times a day, especially throughout the pandemic, And I think we need to remember why we went into nursing, why we are all, whether we're CEOs, therapists, nurses, CNAs, the greatest folks on earth, the toughest job, 
We are all doing long-term care because we are passionate about it. So sometimes you just have to pack in that tiredness. Don't throw in the towel. You are so needed and you are so awesome. So don't forget to be awesome each and every day. Mary, that's a beautiful story. And um, I'm going to walk away with that because we each have the opportunity to be the awesome in someone else's day. And at times allow them to be that awesome for us. And I think that's how we find our way forward through this. Um, as you stated so well, uh, we're not at the end. Uh, there are still uh, challenges ahead, but we're seeing things take shape. We're seeing the turns being made. And I want to thank you very much for uh, the conversation today. Really good. Appreciate you sharing your thoughts, insights on this very important topic and reminding us that we are all absolutely in this together. To our audience, if you've enjoyed this podcast, will you please take a moment to share your feedback? Uh, our Mary is a guest today because someone, uh, one, one of you said, hey, you should really have a conversation and get her on so that we can hear her thoughts and ideas and uh, the things that she's thinking about with everyone else. We would welcome that. And, and if you would take the opportunity to do exactly what Mary said, if we'd all find that person out there to be the awesome in their day, to encourage them, thank them for what they're doing, whether that's in a note, a text, or a conversation, we all have the opportunity to make a difference. Mary, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Tom. At NetSmart, we understand the challenges facing provider organizations. Our team will help you navigate changing value-based care models with solutions and services that make person-centered care a reality. We'll equip you with technology and services that provide holistic, real-time views of care histories that inform better decision-making and better outcomes. Visit us today at ntst.com. NetSmart, serving you so you can serve others. Thanks for listening to the NetSmart Care Threads podcast. Through collaboration and conversation, we can work together to make healthcare more connected than ever before and better support the communities we serve. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.